Welcome to the Campus Outreach Staffcast, a podcast produced by CO staff for CO staff. You me with I'm your host, Connor Hopkins, along with Campus Outreach Serves Executive Director, Kent Bailey. We are joined today by Robert Cunningham. Robert served for 17 years as the senior pastor at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church, a CO hub church in Kentucky. He now serves as the executive director of Kentucky for Christ and engages in Christian theology and thought leading in the state of Kentucky. On this episode, he shares about his ministry, how to grow in intimacy with God, what he loves about the CO movement, and some of the challenges that we should be aware of. Robert, thank you for coming on the show. We're excited to have you on and uh, it'll be a great time. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Robert, we've been looking forward to this and every time we get a chance to connect and interact, I'm always encouraged and I know our staff are encouraged. And so there'll be staff around the world listening to this and then I'm sure they'll be passing it on to others. So we're looking forward to the things that you'll share with us today. And I know a lot of people know you and know who you are, but for those very few who don't, maybe you could give us some context, just uh, where you are, what you're doing now, what you've been doing, any family parts you want to share just for some context would be great. Yeah. So I, wife, Abby, four boys, uh, 15, 12, 10, and just turned seven. So I'm in the, I'm in the heat of that parenting phase. I was in pastoral ministry, conventional pastoral ministry. I still am in pastoral ministry, but pastored for 17 years at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, which was a hub church of campus outreach, was involved somewhat with campus outreach during my undergrad years at Murray State University. So have been familiar with the ministry for a long time, both as a student and then as a pastor. And then around this time last year, actually, the Lord kind of threw a curveball into his calling on my life. I didn't see it coming, but very long story short, I stepped out in faith and formed a nonprofit called Christ for Kentucky which is a public theology and public strategy organization devoted to the state of Kentucky specifically. So I offer public thought leadership, just a Christian voice in the public square of Kentucky's dialogue. So I do a lot of thought work, and then I combine that with strategic kingdom of God projects for our state, where essentially I lead the leaders of our state network with Christians and churches throughout our state to try to get some exciting kingdom of God stuff done for people ask me what I do. I say, I'm just trying to make Kentucky look a little bit more like heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Kentucky um, <laughs> as it is in heaven. So if I, if I spend my life and leave Kentucky looking a little bit more like heaven, then I've done what I feel like the Lord's called me to do. So that's what I'm doing now. Having a blast. That's awesome. And I know a lot of the staff, we're always interested, you know, in what a person's faith journey, their testimony has been. Just give us a bit of kind of more detail around just your your own faith journey. Fairly common story to, I think, what happens with a lot of campus outreach students. Grew up nominally Baptist, good old American Christianity thing. Never took root. I don't like sharing my testimony with the, I grew up in church but that really didn't right. for, do it for me. And then I got, you know, and then I got connected to a parachurch and the lights came on. I would say, you know, seeds of growing up in a church were there. That's right. Um, they did, you know, they, they didn't blossom, but 
what happened was a month before I left to go off to Murray State my freshman year in college, I went to a Young Life camp. I had a Young Life leader who faithfully pursued me. You know, Young Life does a lot of what Campus Outreach does on the college campus, Young Life does on the high school campuses. And I just had a Young Life leader for four years would not give up on me. In fact, his director at Young Life challenged him to pray for and pursue the least likely high school (laughs) student he could ever imagine uh, coming to faith. And that happened to be me. So I was his project. I was the last person he could ever imagine following Jesus. And I went to Young Life Camp a month before I went off to college. And, you know, not all to I celebrate boring testimonies. Um, I have four boys. I want them to have very boring testimonies. That's right. But mine was a Damascus road. I went to that camp. One person came back. Another heard the gospel clearly articulated. And I just was born again to use our, our Lord's language. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was a radical conversion, went off to Murray and just immersed myself in campus ministry, discipleship, culture. And I would mm-hmm. say, you know, those four years of college was really, as Campus Outreach knows, was just really a, a greenhouse discipleship formative time of my life where I left college convinced that I wanted to go into pastoral ministry. And so that's where we find ourselves. Well, one of the things that we've touched on a lot here in the podcast series has been on just the idea of vision and the importance of vision. And so at what some would say, sort of the the prime time of your pastoral ministry, you sense this calling to pastoral ministry, but just in another form, very creative, different than typically would be done. To the degree you can and want to share with us about that process, I think it'd be interesting just kind of at a vision level, what were you seeing that compelled you to say, this is the direction the Lord has for me? And kind of how did he demonstrate that? How did he lay that out for you? Yeah. So I pastored Taste Creek for 17 years and my job description as senior pastor at TCPC kept on changing quite a bit. I had a very gracious session, elders that were very supportive in who God's made me to be. But every time my job description changed, it was taking me further away from our congregation Mm. and more into the public square of Kentucky, more into kind of broader visionary thinking and leadership, um, more that, you know, they approved I was getting a Ph.D. And I was offered an opportunity to a church. It was a larger church that reached out to me that really wanted me to consider taking that calling. And I I didn't really want to leave Kentucky. I'm born and raised in Kentucky. My heart bleeds for the bluegrass state, but they were offering me a job description that kind of fit the unconventional way that God had wired me where Hmm. their former pastor was already kind of doing a lot of the work I really love to do. And so they were accustomed to I guess you could say a restless, right. <laughs> a restless right. pastor who's out there trying to do big things. And so the job description fit me better. And I was convinced that Tate's Creek needed more conventional local church pastor focused leadership. And so I almost took this other position and kind of right. Well, truly, the day before I accepted this position, I was talking to my wife and she said, you know, she was in appropriate ways. We we're about to uproot our family and move to a uh, a large global city. And said, so what are we going to do if this doesn't work out? You know, and 
you know, what's plan B if this doesn't go well? And I offhandedly said to her, don't worry about it. We can always move back to Kentucky. That's our place. That's our home. That's where we love. I'll get some donors in the room. I'll form my own organization that allows me to just do full time, which what I love to do, which is give my life away to the state of Kentucky and do Christian leadership broadly for the state. And within 24 hours, I came back to her and said, I know this is crazy, but I kind of hope they run me out of town uh, (laughs) at this new job so I get to do plan B. And like, you know, as often happens with our wives, like it was this moment of divine clarity where she said, why don't you just do plan B? (laughs) And I said, I think that's what I'm going to do with my life. And she's like, yeah, that's exactly, that's what you are made to do with your life. Mm. And so I called this church and said, hey, good news, bad news, good news, I guess from your perspective is I I have resigned from Taste Creek, bad news, I'm still not taking the position (laughs) and I'm forming my own thing. Very unconventional, would not recommend it. It fits kind of the craziness that God has made me to be. But I did have to come to a point in my sanctification journey where I had to be comfortable with who God's made me to be. And right. and celebrate that and say it's okay that I don't really fit the mold and that's okay. And I'm in the Presbyterian world and everything's neat and tidy and orderly and all that. And it was a little bit outside the box. So it was a little stretch for me. It's been a year now and the Lord has just blessed it. And we're just, man, we're having so much fun and, and God is using it in ways I couldn't even imagine. Well, that's where I'd love to dig in because you have been investing so much within Camp Outreach movement for so long, but then even over this past year. So as you've been engaging, not just with staff there in Lexington, which I know you do that, but more broadly across the country and different opportunities, what are you seeing, picking up on, are really the major challenges that staff are facing today in doing that evangelism and discipleship work on campus? And love for you to comment on what you're seeing, what you're observing in that? Well, what I love about campus outreach is, because this is rare to find in an organization, but one of the things I love about campus outreach is their willingness to self-assess and continually rethink, reimagine, pray, and think through how can we continually grow and evolve as an organization to meet the moment where God has us And, you know, typically when you have an organization that is incredibly successful as Campus Outreach was in its early years and blows up, they get stuck in that and they say, this is the way it works, the way it's always worked. Let's keep with that. What I've noticed about Campus Outreach is it's just humility and willingness to institutionally reassess itself. And so even you asking that question, I think, is crucial. Yeah, I would say Campus Outreach was formed in 1978. Briarwood Presbyterian, literally the the buckle of the Bible belt. I mean, you do not get more, you know, Christian culture than Birmingham, Alabama in the late 70s. Okay. It was born with this evangelistic fervor of Frank Barker and and Briarwood, which is just so beautiful. And it's never lost that passion. It has never lost its we evangelize and we disciple. We evangelize and we disciple. And it has held that now half a century, which is amazing. Evangelism and discipleship in 2023, and as particularly as Campus Outreach has expanded out beyond the southern region of the United States, that passion combined with, okay, what does that look like in this new world that's upon us, Mm -hmm. this new context that's upon us, 
even the American South has changed profoundly, particularly with the rising generation, holding to that zeal for evangelism and discipleship and contextualizing that according to the new world that is upon us. I think that's probably the biggest challenge that Campus Outreach is facing. And I'm encouraged even by the question to say, how do we rethink this? Because that's something I love to do. I'm I'm a student of culture and I love to think about how do we reach the world where God has us now. And on that very point then, Robert, everybody has their list of cultural challenges and ills and obstacles that are out there and, and we could spend the whole day on that. But if you said, you know, dialing in culture broadly today to young people, to college students, to doing work with college students, if you said, you know, there are 20 issues that we could point to, but these two or three things going on in culture today are kind of at the top of the list that you would see that we need to be thinking about that affect the work that we're doing, what what are those two or three things that be at the top of your list? The easy one that philosophers are discussing ad nauseum is, is the rise of secularism. I do think that America in general, but I would say the college campus in particular, does need to wrestle with the fact that we need to go ahead and just admit, and it's okay to admit, because again, we just admit that, and then we change how we approach it. But we just probably need to go ahead and admit that the rise of secularity has overtaken our culture, which means it's okay for us to just go ahead and say, we're going to treat ourselves as a post-Christian society. Mm. And a post-Christian society is, Leslie Newbigin argues, is far more difficult to reach than a society that has never known Jesus. Mm. So you walk into, I know Campus Outreach is big on foreign missions. You know, you step into an unreached people. They've never heard the news that God has become man, God incarnate, who has died an atoning death on the cross and is risen from the grave victorious. You share that good news in an unreached society or a very nominally reached society. And it's like, whoa, this is massively good, amazing news. And it strikes them differently. But then what do you do with a culture that has become bored and moved on with that news where the news of God incarnate is, you know, the music on our department stores in the busiest shopping time of the year, where his mm-hmm. atoning cross is our is our tattoos and jewelry, where his resurrection has morphed into pastels and bunnies. And we've just gotten bored with this good news that really shaped society for many years. That hardened ground post-Christian society, it's a very difficult society to reach. So yeah, I think you have to admit that, own that, particularly on the college campus. It's truer there than anywhere else in our culture. So that's the easy one. And and there's a lot of literature out there. I think the ones that probably don't get talked about the most would be technology. I think how do you reach students who are addicted to technology, live their lives within algorithms, are discipled Mm -hmm. by their technology? It is a massive, massive part of social life now. And so I think, how do you deal with the hurdle of all things technology? And then I would say, probably the third one I point to, which would be the byproduct of technology, is the complete loss of all community and friendship. So Mm. through technology, we are connected to everyone and are known by no one. We have thousands of friends and followers. And statistically speaking, when you survey college students now, 
they don't have any friends. They're a friendless generation. Mm -hmm. The rise of technology and the subsequent demise of community, I think that's a big hurdle to do ministry. And then the obvious one, I, I think human sexuality and gender. How do you do campus yeah. ministry as a historic evangelical faith that is still trying to hold on to what church has taught and societies have believed for millenniums, but now mm -hmm. is beyond the pale of social acceptance. And so how do you do it? These are big questions, but anyway, I hope I didn't just depress you, but if you're asking me the challenges, that's what you're up against. <laughs> no, that's it. One of the things that seems so often the challenge in these ministry seasons where we are today is those big cultural challenges, they impact individual staff people, even in different ways. Oh yeah. And there can be this sense of, oh, I've, you know, I need to be this type of person or that type of person in the work that I do on the campus. Too often and erroneously that becomes personality driven. I need to have this type of personality or, you know, engage yeah. with people in this way. Obviously not. What is critical is godly character. And so we can just say, yes, just be like Christ in, in all ways. But if you somehow drew a parallel between the challenges that we're facing today and then kind of corresponding, and this is the character that you really ought to be thinking about developing and growing and praying that through sanctification, God is doing in your life as a young staff person, what would be some of those things? Obviously, I mean, where all of those character attributes are great, but if you said, here's two or three that I'd really encourage you to be growing in, what are those things? Yeah, and I agree with you, by the way, character trumps, personalities, gifting, all of that. So when you think about these challenges, if this was a business podcast, you know, the way businesses would approach this is, okay, here are the challenges, but here's the market opportunity. Mm. And every challenge I just said, I think creates this fertile potential ground. If staff will embody in their character and in their practices, that they will embody a different world than the world that their students are living in because students are dying in their technology. Students are dying with their lack of community. Students are dying as they feed upon all of these different social theories that are being fed to them by algorithms and, and they hold no weight. They can't hold a candle to the gospel. They're crumbling under this. Mm. If they have staff that are basically saying, we're living and doing and replicating all the same stuff that you're doing, mm. but we're trying to call you into something different, it just falls flat. But if they see staff who they will look up to and admire and want what a staff member has who is saying, I am not owned by my cell phone the way you are owned by your cell phone. Mm. There is a properly ordered rhythm to my life when it comes to technology. It mm. is just, it's refreshingly different. College students who are addicted to their phones and, and social media, they see that and they'll say, I'm dying in this world. I want what that world that you're embodying. I think disciplined, properly ordered life, technology under control, these types of things, I think is irresistible to campus students right now. I mean, the basics have always been important, obviously. I mean, when Jesus ascended until now, if you were to ask, 
what does a campus minister need to do? Well, they need to practice the means of grace. And I would say, yes, that's always true. It's especially true now because that peaceful, disciplined, calming, restful rhythm of communion with God and simplicity of practices and under control habits is not only good and right and true and beneficial for the personal relationship with Jesus that our staff have, I think it creates this kind of alluring world that you're inviting students into. So I think that the disciplines of the faith are huge. I think community is huge. So like I said, I think friendlessness, you know, lack of community and all that, students are dying from that. I think if they see in our staff a vulnerability, an honesty, a relentless love, what my young life leader did to me, which is didn't get turned off by my rejection and my annoying saying, I'll come to this event and not showing up at this event and giving up on me, but he was just relentless in his friendship. I think friendship and modeling that and creating community within campus ministry environments now, I think that is irresistible. I think theological clarity, what our world now in our tribal divided world on hot button topics like sexuality and gender that I spoke of, and there's many others, our world actually values authenticity as much, if not more than anything else. Charles Taylor, he calls the ethics of authenticity where authenticity reigns supreme. And so what they actually want is a kind, charitable, but theological clarity where I'm able to, I'm able to tell you, this is what I believe. And this is why I believe it. That versus I'm going to skirt the issue. I'm afraid to talk about the issue. You know, I'm going to kind of hide what I believe because I'm afraid it might offend you. But Mm -hmm. actually it's really refreshing in our society that values authenticity to say, this is what I believe. And let me help you understand what I believe. And I'm not just talking about sexuality and gender. I'm talking about just the basic tenets of the faith, this ability to create, to communicate conviction. The reason why I'm thinking about men in our culture, they're flocking to the Ben Shapiro's and the Joe Rogan's and even more talk examples like Andrew Tate and stuff like that. They're flocking to these men because they're people in our society who are saying, I'm not scared to speak with clarity. Clarity. That's with it, yeah. clarity. This is what I believe. Yes, it's what I believe. Let me explain to you why it is I believe it. And in my conviction and in my, in my um, clearly I've thought this out and I know what I'm talking about way, it's actually really appealing. I think clarity of thought is really becoming paramount again in this post-Christian society. I'm rambling here, but I, I could. So let me say right there, Robert, in this particularly dial in speaking to a newer staff person, someone who's, you know, in their 20s, 25. And you and I both had a long-term and deep appreciation for Tim Keller, who brought clarity, but he also brought compassion. Yep. And I think that's the, the very rare mix that is really needed today. How would you speak and counsel a 25-year-old staff person to develop those two things together? Because we can tend to fall off on one side or the other, holding those, growing in those. How would you counsel that young staff person to do that? Yeah, you're, you're right. Clarity and compassion together. Clarity, humility. Clarity is the easy part. Do not neglect your own theological development, education, and so forth on staff. Continue to grow 
in the deeper truths of scripture and theology, read books, you know, listen to podcasts, all that stuff. So the clarity part is easy to cultivate. The compassion, the humility with clarity, boy, okay, that comes one of two ways. And you brought up Tim, brought up Tim Keller, and I know this for a fact from him, either through suffering. So either God's going to have to humble you and you're going to have to go through, and he did this in my life, by the way. I mean, he crushed me. Mm. It was very difficult and painful, but I look back and say it's the most important thing that happened to me. Mm. Either you're going to have to suffer and walk with a limp, so to speak, wrestle with God, come out walking with a limp, to which your staff will say, oh, can I avoid that way? (laughs) Yes, you actually can. You can pray a lot. Mm. And I'm telling you, if Tim Keller were on this podcast, that's what he would say. You can either cultivate it through providential suffering or through a robust prayer life. But you, you cannot you cannot live in the Psalms and have a rich prayer life and not come out humble mm. and kind and gracious and all of those attributes that we loved about Keller. And so I had to go through suffering to get it. Keller just lived in the Psalms and prayed a lot. He did the easier path. <laughs> no, he would say, I think even in his cancer, he both even his cancer, right. he would bless yeah. God for it because he said that there was a there was a level of humility that he still needed through that. So I would encourage a deep contemplative prayer life and living in the wisdom literature of scripture. And it, it just creates humility. That's great. Robert, just on that, just talking about a prayer life, I, I think for uh, especially younger believers, maybe, you know, one of our staff has come to faith in their uh, early 20s, 2021, and then, you know, felt a call to come on staff, like Kent was saying, maybe they're 24, 25, you know, maybe they're still learning a lot of the things of the faith, especially the spiritual disciplines, which just take a long time to grow in maturity in Christ. Yes. And prayer is one of those. Uh, you know, I, I know when I was a young believer, it was like, ah, prayer's like work, it's yeah. drudgery. Uh, and then later, you know, uh, the Lord has taught me a lot about. Uh, uh, gratitude, thanksgiving prayers, leading into intercessory prayers, and et cetera, et cetera. But what would you say to a young staff who is saying, okay, well, I don't want the suffering path. Right. I don't want the Lord to humble me. I, I want to develop the robust prayer life. What would you say would be one of the best ways or a few ways to develop that robust prayer life? And I know these are kind of lumped together at certain points, but also maybe with fasting as mm-hmm. well, would you maybe just kind of talk theologically around uh, prayer and, and you know maybe even a combination of those two topics? Yes, I will. Two things. One, I just invoked Presbyterianism and told us to really pursue theological disciplines and and depths of theological knowledge. Okay, when it comes to prayer, the spiritual disciplines, you mentioned fasting, practicing the Sabbath, these types of things. Now I'm going to tell you that you're going to have to get outside our tradition. And I'm assuming if you're on staff at Campus Irish, it doesn't, you, you know, there's a lot that aren't Presbyterian, but we're the Presbyterian Reformed Baptist evangelical world. That's our world, right? That world, the church can learn so much from our theological work. We can learn so much from the spiritual disciplines outside of our tradition. Mm. I came alive in the spiritual disciplines when I got outside of the Reformed tradition. Mm. I just, I started to learn a lot from other traditions and you have to filter it through, you know, there's some stuff out there and you filter it through your, your, you You got to spit out the bones and keep the meat. Yep. Yep, yeah, you're gonna have to do that. But our tradition just is so not it, we're just not good at practicing the presence of God, mm. at growing deeper in in communion with God and in prayer. Packer wrote a book, Knowing God, 
and it's just a theological treatise. Right. <laughs> and I love Packard. I love that book, but it's just more knowledge. And that's not knowing in, in, in the scriptures. The scriptures don't use knowing with cognition, with intellect. It, mm. Adam knew Eve and a baby came. That's right. Um, <laughs> that's a depth of knowledge that goes a little bit beyond systematic theology. And so what I'm saying is this depth of knowledge of God, I think, is offered to us in other traditions and getting accustomed to it. And there's, and there's been a resurgence, by the way. There's been a resurgence of mm-hmm. those traditions that there's tons of resources out there. You mentioned Tim. His sermons and series on this is he does that. He gets outside of the Presbyterian yep. tradition. He, he studies the Catholic mystics. He, I mean, he gets crazy with some of the stuff that's and he right. pulls it in and makes it more theologically palatable for folks like us. So that series is great, but there's tons of resources out there. So I think getting outside of our tradition and then even more important than that, practicing. I mean, my, you know, mm. my second board son a couple of days ago was like, I want to play quarterback for Kentucky. And I was like, okay, well, it's easier to play him quarterback for Alabama. So you got that going for you, but <laughs> you need to get out in the yard and throw a football. And he was like, well, Tell me how to do it. So like, just start throwing the football. If you want to play quarterback, just start throwing the football Yeah. and, and we'll refine it and we can work on drills and all this stuff, but you can't say you want to play quarterback if you're not outside in the yard throwing a football. And I would just say, yeah. just go, just get, turn your, again, technology, turn your cell phone off and get along with the Lord and deal with the boredom. Let the boredom haunt you. Let the silence disturb you and mm-hmm. just, you know, Deal with God and practice prayer. It is truly a spiritual muscle that we have to work out and flex and learn how to do. And so I always just say, just give it a try. Just your Bible journal alone Mm. with Lord and nature and see what God's spirit does. Because we do believe the Holy Spirit is within you. So I would just say, carve it out. And then third thing I would say, this is massive. This should be in our tradition. But sadly, it's not. But our tradition prioritizes this is the Sabbath. Six days you shall work, seven you shall rest. If every staff member just flat out said, all right, I am going to exhaust myself building laborers on the campus for the glory of God. I'm going to exhaust myself in that six days a week. And seventh day, I am going to rest. Hmm. I am going to wake up. I'm going to prepare my heart for worship. I am going to go feast on the means of grace and worship. I am going to fellowship with friends that give me light throughout the day. I'm going to go on a walk and prayer walk and spend time with the Lord. I'm going to read the Psalms at night. I'm going, and I just set aside a day to really feast with my Savior through the means of grace. And I'm going to begin that rhythm that God has ordained and included as one of his Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is is really what God told us to do. So, you know, we should probably do it. We're going to take a break from our conversation and transition into our movement spotlight. In each episode, we'll take a minute to hear an update from a CO region and pray for them. We're going to do something a little bit different today in light of some key world events. As everyone is well aware, there's an ongoing war between Israel and Hamas with many millions of people being affected. These millions of people caught up in this war are people who do not know Christ as Lord. So let's pray for them that God would bring peace between the nations of Israel and Palestine. Let's also pray for the church, which is seeking to be a faithful witness to their neighbors during a time of turmoil. And lastly, let's pray that many Israelis and Arabs would come to know Jesus as a result of all that is happening right now. That God would take something that is evil, being used by the enemy, and turn it for something that is good and for his glory. 
Robert, you are hitting on all the things that are so important to Campus Outreach that are values for us that focus on the Lord, the evangelism, the discipleship, the world missions. I want to get to the other thing that I know is obviously on your heart as well, and that's the church. Yeah. That is so much of a focus for us. So we've talked about this a number of times, and even your insight into, if it's possible, the higher necessity of the church in this season for there to be real lifetime laborers built, that that work cannot be done just exclusively on the campus. So I'd love for you to speak to just, again, to the staff around the need for that kind of seamless working together of the work of the work on the campus, the work of the church, all that together. Speak to that. Then I've got a couple of follow-ups I'd love to, to go from there. Yes. In my experience, and I bet if your staff listening to this started to kind of think through their years of ministry and assess it, I bet it holds true. When you talk about, all right, who are the students that graduate from college and are continuing to walk with the Lord? you know, have started families and are discipling their children and whether they're on staff at campus outreach or in ministry or in the secular workforce, they are still committed followers of Jesus. Is there any, it'd be interesting to do this from, you know, a truly data-driven thing, but is there any correlation? What sets them apart? In my experience, and your listeners can test it out on their experience as well, the only common denominator I can find where those students in college, in ministry, didn't just go all in on campus outreach, but for whatever reason, they saw the value of the local church, committed to, connected to, joining, serving a local church. The students that had a high value of the local church tended to be the students that continued on with the Savior post-college. And sadly, the students that, that missed that tended to be the ones that fall away. That's the only correlation that I could find across the board. So that's its significance. So I would just say, I would just say to, to all staff, I understand the temptation. Part of it's a good temptation. Part of it is an idolatry temptation. But I understand the temptation to be all in, focus on their campus, focus on their ministry, focus on their meeting, focus on summer projects and New Year's conferences and who's coming and Bible stays and all that. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to add to that all of what that is, the meetings, the discipleship groups, the summer projects, all of that is a funnel filtering system into the local church context, a means to an end. Campus Outreach viewing itself as a means to an end rather than an end in itself is so important. Now, here's what I've discovered when I talked about this with staff. It actually takes the pressure off. I think what overwhelms staff the most is this insane idea that he who began a good work in you will finish it to completion must happen by the senior year of college. That's right. Like, like we are good. We we have got to produce these sanctified, perfect little saints to send out into the world. I mean, good luck. Yeah. So it actually takes the pressure off in my estimation. I like to tell our staff all the time that the Westminster Confessions of Faith say that the, the purpose of the church is the gathering and perfecting of the saints. I always tell our staff, we just need you to gather. The church will spend the rest of their years perfecting the saints until Jesus perfects them in glory. Just gather them. You are the gathering arm of the church of Jesus Christ. So you go with wild abandon after that college campus to share 
the simple gospel plan of salvation to give them some basic tools to read their Bible and pray and share their faith, have a lot of fun, show them that Christian community is an enjoyable thing, and hand them off to the church for the perfecting of the saints. Pressure's off, just gather. I have discovered with staff, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that feels like I can do that. I can gather. And that's really all we're asking you to do. Well, Robert, that is a great word. And I think if we had the opportunity for all 750, 800 staff to sit down with you, they might want to privately ask you this question. They say, well, Robert, that's great. I agree with that. Convictionally, I'm there. My situation just seems a little challenging. I'm on campus. We have a highly committed team. We have student leaders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all going great. And in my church, there are either issues that are apparent or a slowness of development, or it's it's that, Lord, I believe, mm. help my unbelief. I, I, I want to be committed to the church. I am committed to the church, but translating that into my real present experience sometimes is challenging. I hate to even ask this question, but how would you counsel me? So I'm asking a question a lot might ask you, and you can share your response. Yes. And I understand the question. And it's not the first time I've been asked the question. And I totally understand that, you know, the beauty of campus outreaches organizational model is its commitment to the local church. That's the beauty. The challenge of campus outreaches model is that it's committed to the local church. <laughs> That's right. It would be so much more organizationally easy and freeing if you were to say, we're done. We're doing the parachurch ministry. Let us go do our thing. Mm. Easy yeah. and a terrible, terrible right. decision. Yeah. That's terrible right. decision. I love campus outreach's commitment to the local church. And I recognize that makes ministry so much more complicated. Here's what I'd say. So what you're telling me is that a local church can be frustrating. Okay. Welcome to the church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to a group of sinners in covenant community. Welcome to this thing called the Catholic Little C Church. Welcome to this thing where this group of misfits from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different traditions, different upbringings, we all get together under the banner of our only hope is Jesus, and we're going to try to get along. Yeah, you're not the exception here. That's yeah. right. And yeah. So what I would say here, what I would say here is modeling for your students. There is no perfect church. No matter what the quirks and difficulties and challenges of the church might be, the church is still worth serving, loving, undying commitment to. Even in you modeling for your students that difficult relationship, I will make this work, I will never give up on this, is setting your students up for a lifetime of local church membership. Because your students are going to graduate and they're going to join a church and they're going to say, oh, this isn't like it was a campus outreach. And or I wish the worship was different or I wish, you know, they need a staff member to help them see not just it's worth getting over challenge, but the beauty of the challenge. This is what happens when you put sinners together and covet it and say, hey, let's fellowship together no matter what. Model that for them. 
because you're setting them up for you're discipling students who the rest of their life and whatever city they move to and they're trying to find a church and this is off or this is frustrating and I wish this was different and this was, the, you know, you're modeling for them in that those pivotal formative years, you are going to stick this out. You are going to commit to the local church. You are going to get through this no matter what. You are going to serve. You're going to have a posture of humility. My favorite comment, I had a lot of these kind of wow moments as a senior pastor. One of them came from a campus outreach student. When I became senior pastor at TCPC, we were a very stereotypical higher church worshiping context. You know, we were still a road liturgical church, but we were an organ only, open your hymnal, you know, sing a hymn that might be a bit obscure <laughs> that the student didn't know with notes that they can't follow <laughs> kind of thing. And I challenged, I challenged our staff. I would get this. I would get this often. You know, I they come and they, you know, they love to hear the sermon. It wasn't necessarily me preaching. You know, we had a lot of great preachers on staff, but, you know, they love the sermons. They love the community, but the worship, the organ, the hymns, like we, you know, and it was just a continual, continual thing. I pulled our staff aside at one point and I said, hey, can we change the narrative? What if you came to college students and said, hey, we could go to a church that tailors the music exactly in a way that we hear at a New Year's conference and you'll love it every week and you'll be excited to week, but there won't be any old people there. Can we change this narrative? What if you offered a challenge to the college students that I want to go and worship here? I want a multi-generational church and the older generation loves those hymns in that organ. And I had a college student come up to me after church one day. And this was like, yes, I had a college student come up to me after church one day and said, listen, I didn't understand a word of that hymn. I couldn't follow the notes. That organ was really loud. But this like older gray haired lady in front of me was just singing her heart out. And I just want you to know, I loved watching her sing that hymn. And I just mm. like, I just wanted to hug this college student and say, you get it. Mm. You get it. Welcome to the church. And so I'm rambling here. What I'm trying to demonstrate is staff imparting into their students, not hiding from the difficulties and complexities of local church life, but imparting and discipling in their students. Welcome to church the rest of your life. You're never going to find the perfect church. We got to work through these difficulties. This is the challenge. We don't want a church that's all about me. We want an other centric church and let's go and, and modeling that for them. And those issues have only been around since the book of Acts and yeah. the pastoral epistles and the book of Revelation. And nothing new there. Yeah, that's right. Robert, I've always appreciated the way in which you are present, but you're forward looking. And so when you think about, say, the next 10 years and you think about the, the challenges that might be coming at campus outreach, some might be cultural, some might also be in a sense, organizational, just at the, the place where we are in the development of a, a global movement, what, what would you say, hey, guys, just this may or may not happen, but be on the lookout for these things that might be coming your way over the next, let's say, 10 years? Yeah, we hit on the cultural stuff quite a bit. You know, support raising is always difficult, so I don't want to downplay that. Assuming you're able to raise support and you know, be able to get the money to provide for yourself and, and whatnot. Campus ministry staff over the past 50 years could kind of be a pretty cool gig, <laughs> almost cushy. Like 
you know, I get to hang out with college students and, you know, share Jesus and, you know, do what I love to do. And it can kind of be a cool gig. I think staff coming on now need to know those days are over. Culturally speaking, you are stepping into a hostile, antagonistic, putting yourself out there, front lines of cultural change moment. So I think I think you are up against the exilic life. You truly are exiles and you need to know that. Welcome to church history. You know, I mean, <laughs> this is how God's people have always existed. So I do think culturally we are heading more and more towards a more exilic identity. Organizationally, you know, I'm an outsider looking in some ways. I'm excited. Let me preface everything. I'm excited about the future of campus outreach. And I'm excited about the future of campus outreach because what I said at the very beginning, because of your willingness as an organization to assess itself, have the humility to self-critique and assess itself and continually reevaluate. So because of that, I'm excited. But I do sense a little bit of a tipping point organizationally in the next decade. You know, the, the, yourself is one of them. You know, the Kent's of the world and these people who have kind of been this bedrock presence within campus outreach and this next generation, I think is going to be the key transition to the future, to the future leadership. And what will the next 50 years of campus outreach look like? I think you probably are organizationally speaking at that tipping point. Here's what I would say. Whenever that happens organizationally, and this is literally social research on this, on the evolution of organizations and whatnot, that tipping point moment, here are the ones that make it. When the old guard has the humility to listen, not be threatened by the rising generation of leadership, mm. and the rising generation of leadership has the humility to not cast off the wisdom that goes before them. If the old kind of foundational bedrock leadership is willing to truly listen to and hear from the rising generation. And if the rising generation doesn't have this hubris of you guys don't know what you're talking about, we've got it figured out, but no, they're willing to lean on the wisdom that went before them. If those two can come together and this can play out on a broad level, like kind of at your level, Kent, and I'm talking about just on a straight campus. I mean, campus, campus Irish Kentucky, you know, we had Will Witherington there forever. Yeah, that's and right. Now, Andy, and they're, they're kind of thinking through that. If those two, so whether it's on the campus or broadly speaking, if those two generations are willing to meet in the middle with humility, mm -hmm. then this thing is set up to move forward and continue doing the great work. If either of those generations is stuck in their ways with a form of hubris, that will derail this whole thing. And so I would say institutional organizational humility in the next 10 years is going to be paramount. As you guys are coming to the table to discuss wow. changes, to discuss philosophy of ministry, to discuss leadership transition, generational humility is going to be key to this organization continuing on with the blessing of the Lord upon it. God always blesses mm -hmm. humility. So to be involved in ministry for certainly the length of time that you have been, there is always the question of longevity of perseverance. If you were saying to this, again, to the 25-year-old staff person, as you just said, you've got a challenging task in front of you. The road will be fraught with difficulties. Here's my encouragement to you, my counsel to you around how to persevere, how to have longevity. What would you tell them? I would go back to our spiritual disciplines conversation, the Sabbath, the communion with the Lord. If you get into campus out, especially now, like I said, 
in some senses, it was a pretty fun, exciting, even cushy gig decades ago. Now it's like, you're going to get into this post-COVID. Students don't care what you have to say. It's so much harder to build a movement and to create a gathering and evangelize the lost. Very quickly, the novelty of I'm on staff at campus outreach will wear off. And if you're not rooted in the essence and the true essence of, of why I'm doing this, the excitement of being on staff at campus outreach just cannot carry you on for too long. So mm. truly rooted in the calling. And I would even say, and maybe this is speaking more towards the leadership, in some senses, when you talk about, okay, how do you these days that the staff shortages and how do we get people to come on staff and how do we retain staff? The intuition is to say kind of almost lowering the bar of commitment in order to get more staff. I think actually raising the bar of this is what you're signing up for on the front end and saying this is the expectation from a character perspective, from a commitment perspective, from a commitment to the mission and philosophy of ministry and all, this is what expected in raising that bar. I would rather have, you know, five folks on a campus that are just profoundly committed to the mission and vision and values of campus outreach and deeply rooted in the Lord and see this as a calling on their life than, you know, 30 on a, on a campus that, you know, it's, it's fun and exciting, but oh my goodness, the realities of campus ministry start setting in and I'm out. So just raising that expectation and commitment of this is what you're signing up for and going after, but nobody's going to be able to survive on a college campus these days on gifts, on skills, on personalities. You have to be rooted in the Lord in order to endure. So I would just go back to that conversation. Robert, thank you again for your investment today and always in Campus Outreach. We are the richer for it. So thank you so much. We'd love to conclude with you just speaking directly to the staff. They're spread out around the world. They're laboring. They may be listening to this first thing in the morning or super late at night, but wherever they are, just for you to speak a word of encouragement to them. Yeah. And then we'd love for you to pray for them uh, just to conclude our time. I would say that you've heard many people tell you that Jesus loves you. I would like to say that Jesus likes you, that he's proud of you. That Trinitarian moment at our Lord's baptism this is my son with whom I am well pleased and proud of. I find a light in. And I want the staff to know that in Christ, your heavenly father is so proud of the work you're doing that he delights in you. Of course, he loves you. You heard that so many times, but it loses its power when you say it like that. But the fact that the Lord is proud of you, that he's not going to forget the work that you've done, that it's being stored up in heaven and will turn into a crown and it will be a well done. My good and faithful servant is waiting for you. This is all going to be worth it. He is worth it. These students are worth it. The harvest that is plentiful, it's all worth it. And all that's true. But most of all, I think what keeps us going is the good news that in the gospel of Jesus, it's not just that God loves us. He's crazy about us. He's proud of us. He delights in us. And that really is true. There really is a heavenly father that smiles over you with just pure delight, with the same delight that belongs to his son, Jesus. It now belongs to you. Let me pray and ask that we would all experience that. Father, even saying those words, I want to be reminded of them myself. I want to know your delight. I want to know your pleasure. And I think about our, our staff that's a part of a generation 
I mean, every generation is crying out for a father's delight, but maybe even more so now than ever with the loss of community, with the breakdown of family in our culture. I just think it's an epidemic of people spending their days searching for the delight of a father. I pray they would find that and experience that in you. That even now as they listen, heaven would break through upon their souls and they would hear, they would hear by your spirit the words of their heavenly father that they are beloved and with them you are well pleased. Bless the work of their hands. I pray they would know that no no act in Jesus' name will be lost or forgotten, but it will be resurrected and celebrated one day. And you will never forget their care of lost sheep. Lord, fill them with a renewed sense of passion for your gospel for college students. Fill them with a newfound desire to follow Jesus as in the hour they first believed. May you rekindle their passion and commitment for the reason they joined staff in the first place. They love Jesus. They love college students. I pray that you would capture that again in their hearts. And I do pray that you would bless the ministries, bless Campus Outreach as an organization, help it to continually have the humility of self-assessment and change and dreaming of what the next 10, 50, 100 years of building laborers on the college campuses would look like. Guide their paths, keep them on the path of righteousness, and may they be quick to repent when they stray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Our hope is only in you. And we just pause on a podcast of all places to say you are our Lord and we have no other. And we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this edition of the Campus Outreach Staffcast. If you enjoyed the show, then stay up to date by subscribing on your favorite podcasting app so that you can receive updates when new episodes are released this season. Until next time, God bless.